Soft Engineering Radio, episode 114, Christoph Ebert on Requirements Engineering. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for support. Welcome listeners to another episode of Software Engineering Radio. This time we are talking about requirements engineering with uh, Christoph Ebert. So welcome Christoph to the show. Hello. So um, before we get started with, with the topic, Christoph, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, thanks Markus for the uh, warm welcome. Uh, a very brief introduction on myself. Um, I'm Managing Director at Vector Consulting Services, which is a consulting company in the a domain of technical product development. Uh, so clients are from a variety of disciplines, starting with um, embedded systems up to IT companies. And we help them in um, improving the way uh, they are addressing the development lifecycle. My own background is that I've been working with um, Alcatel, which is today Alcatel Lucent for 12 years in a variety of engineering management positions. And one of the themes which I became very early engaged is requirements engineering which I addressed, um, I guess, in the first year when I started with Algatel and uh, ever since uh, found it extremely interesting. And that's one of the reasons why I uh, still, uh, on one side, uh, further drive this topic um, in international conferences, in uh, scientific uh, avenues, but also publish a lot. And um, uh, by doing this, also working with clients, uh, I presume you uh, found me somehow. And uh, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, I I think I saw your OOP talk in the program. So that's kind that's of true. Yeah, that was in Munich me. this year. Yeah. Mm. And since then, we've been trying to do this, and now we finally <laughs> managed. So, um, requirements engineering. Why don't you give us an overview about the general challenge and the context in the software development, software development process, how, they, how it fits in? Well, I guess uh, to address the challenges in software engineering is a very broad question. To make the long story short, uh, we see in, from a number of um, client projects, but also from surveys in industry, that uh, still uh, software projects are not always uh, delivering according to original commitments. Uh, the reasons are manifold. But one thing which we see repeatedly is that uh, requirements engineering seems to be the number one technical topic uh, where projects either succeed or fail. In very simple words, uh, requirements have the tendency to be not really known until there is a product. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more the product is known, the more people uh, question about the requirements. So they are changing, they are shaping, they are forming to a project. And if this is not well addressed, projects will run into time or budget constraints. There will be insufficient quality because of changing requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be uh, late changes um, up to the level where uh, customers or the market uh, finds out that the project is not really what they needed. Mm -hmm. And um, that's certainly the key reason why requirements engineering is a major challenge uh, in today's software development. So I guess it's fair to say that requirements engineering is about finding out and defining what the system should do as opposed to how to actually implement it. Absolutely. The first question is always to uh, have a good understanding 
what's the value of the product, uh, what we are going to develop. By the way, if I'm speaking about products, uh, just to make one thing clear in the beginning, uh, I am addressing the outcome of any project, mm -hmm. which is a product can be a release, a product can be a tool, a product can be a big IT system, a product can be an embedded software system, etc. Um, the question with uh, what and how isn't so much interesting as in order to find out what is the need and what should be done in a project, you ought to also address the other question, which is the how, because only by getting yeah. understanding about how you address certain issues, you are better positioned to ask questions, for instance, to a customer in right. order what is his needs. Uh, so yeah. the what and the how influence each other. Yeah, it's probably also useless to come up with requirements that are not implementable because it's too complicated or, or just not feasible. So there's always this cross-fertilization between how you do it and what you do. Absolutely. And this is why one of the very early disciplines in software engineering during the 70s was actually modeling. Because mm -hmm. the modeling helps you to identify what are the customer needs, what the product should do, and contrast it with how are you going to implement right. it. If we go just a little bit backwards to a topic like structured analysis and all the discussions along object-oriented modeling, we always find this uh, question about how do I best uh, relate customer needs into uh, the behaviors and the functionality of a product. Right. Okay, so um, everybody knows that requirements are necessary to build systems. And I guess everybody does some kind of requirements engineering or requirements something, maybe not engineering. What are the typical pitfalls with requirements? What can go wrong? And as a consequence, why is it important to maybe do it a little bit more systematically than people typically do it? Well, I normally answer to that question. Uh, requirements engineering is not so difficult if we would just be sure that we address the three major risks with requirements, namely that we have the wrong requirements, that we have missing requirements, or that we have changing requirements. Maybe I just spent a few words on these three categories. Yep. The wrong requirements, I think, is an obvious theme. I mean, we can develop a nice product if there's later on not a market because the market needs different things or mm -hmm. maybe a competitor just came out with uh, a key functionality which we don't have or if we addressed it wrong this is wrong requirements and that's certainly in so much uh, important as we are aware if we address requirements that we know how to do it and also that we validate against the original uh, needs mm -hmm. the missing requirement could be for instance that we would just not have a good understanding about uh, who are the customers, who are the uh, key users. And um, one thing which we might address later is um, they're not even in a customer-specific project, the single customer, but you always right. have different type of yeah. customers with different level of skills. Yeah. Um, like an IT system, there would be a person who uses it very often, one which uses it rarely, one which administrates the product, and they have different requirements. And if we talk with the wrong people, later on we have missing requirements. Mm -hmm. And then the third um, risk in requirements engineering is uh, the changing requirements. As a rule, requirement change, I mentioned that in the introduction, because we know more, yeah. and by knowing more, we have a better understanding about the needs and so requirement shape um, if we are not capable of addressing these changes say by control by uh, configuration management etc this will kill any project because uh, the changes are just not foreseen and we are not able to keep track where the changes impact um, software test cases etc yeah and that that will lead to discussion about the process which we talk about later um, so let's define a couple of terms. I guess we should define what a requirement is, and then there are also different kinds of requirements. I guess we should 
define those so we can use them in the rest of the discussion. Indeed, it's always useful at the beginning uh, to define a certain terminology, not in order to reinvent a lot, but just to get a baseline about yeah, sure. what we're we talking about. Yep. Um, requirements you can uh, rather easily distinguish into three categories. Uh, one category, which is what the product is doing from an external perspective. That's what we call market requirements. Mm -hmm. These are requirements from a user perspective. Um, then a set of requirements, which we call the product requirement, which is um, or sometimes we call it features, which is mm -hmm. how the product is uh, addressing these market requirements. And then we obviously have a lot of uh, so-called component requirements, uh, which uh, identify how, depending on the underlying architecture, these product requirements are translated into software functionality. Mm -hmm. So in a way, we have a hierarchy uh, where we have uh, market requirements um, at the top because they govern the overall set right. of functionality. We have the product requirements um, as the feature set, which we put in a product catalog, for instance, and we have the component requirements. This distinction is very helpful from a perspective of um, who handles which requirements. The market mm -hmm. requirements is something which we want to hear from a market, from a customer, right. or we want to have marketing to bring a customer in a direction or to bring a market in a direction that they ask for these things. While the product requirements on the other side is what we use as a baseline of the uh, future product or the new release of a product, which helps us to address a variety of different market requirements or that we identify a best possible architecture for different mm -hmm. type of requirements, anticipating future evolution of technology, of needs. And this contrast of market and product requirements is one of the key um, needs of good requirements engineering so that we are able to develop the product without later on having the wrong requirements or missing requirements as we have just heard. So so product requirements are, they somehow reflect the market requirements. Re market requir requirements is what we need to do to make the product successful and then the product requirements are coarse-grained ways of implementing that in, in the product and then of course the component requirements are low-level software. Absolutely. Mm. Um, You can simply say the uh, market requirements is uh, a problem space. I mean, yeah. that's what users demand, uh, what they think yeah. the product should do. Not necessarily what is feasible. I mean, that's another mm -hmm. topic yeah. which we need to address during the requirements analysis. But yeah. what we would expect uh, from the product, uh, while the product requirements is what a product can offer. It's part of the right. solution space. Yes. And uh, this is why I distinguish very much the owners here. Mm -hmm. The market requirement ownership is external to our company. Yep. The product requirements is inside our right. company. That's product management. Exactly. Yep. And uh, if we are able to merge these two, then the product manager has done an excellent job. Right. If not, we have at one point or the other uh, unsatisfied stakeholders, and that means necessarily changing requirements. Right. Most people probably know the term functional requirement versus non-functional requirement. Um, how do they play in? Yeah, I believe once we think about requirements, we typically think about no, uh, functional requirements. And that is independent what type of product we address. I mean, for instance, if you just think about an um, office software, which we are using and everybody is using some type of um, office software, um, there's a lot of functionality which we just assume uh, should be built in, such as we want to open the file, want to uh, uh, store something, to, for instance, edit a file with um, graphic or with text, etc., yeah. etc., um, all that would be functional requirements. While the non-functional requirements is typically those which are much more intrinsic, much more difficult to grasp, um, such as 
how fast the software should uh, process that file or how secure the access to yeah. that file should be. Um, these are underlying requirements which uh, very much drive architecture, which very much yeah. drive the way we, we build the whole product. The, the, the illities. Exactly. Well, that's a good point. Uh, in <laughs> a way, um, we can also say non-functional requirements, which is just the way how I define it, um, they are quality attributes. Right, yes. And as a quality attribute like maintainability, portability, uh, security, safety, etc., um, we immediately understand that this is really at the core of any product. Yep. Uh, the difficulty and the challenge is to find out how much of these utilities I need. Yeah. In because order, they cost money. Uh, exactly, because <laughs> they, they demand uh, effort, they demand resources, yeah. and in the end, they also create conflicts. Yeah, we've had a, a discussion about software architecture in a very early episode, and, and there we contrasted or showed some of the, of the illities, the conflict. So that's something mm -hmm. listeners should have heard. If not, go back, listen to the old stuff. So the episode is called Requirements Engineering. So there is probably some systematic approach to dealing with requirements. Can you outline that? And then maybe we can detail that in the rest of the discussion. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very p important point. Uh, this simple word, systematic approach, is actually at the core of any engineering discipline. Right. And that's also why we, uh, in fact, speak about requirements engineering, because it's, it's an engineering discipline. And engineering always means uh, to handle a specific topic in a systematic approach, which creates repeatability, which I allows yeah. us to uh, improve, to master something, and not be surprised along the way that uh, here and there are uh, challenges which you have not foreseen, etc. Now, requirements engineering, from this perspective, is how we systematically address requirements in order to deliver a product which is... Uh, in line with these requirements, we should, however, also put some type of constraints in that def definition, which is um, that it is not about being uh, d delivering the perfect product, but uh, finding out which requirements is really the most important. Yeah. So this is about priorities. It's also about understanding, when we talk again about non-functional requirements, um, what is good enough in a specific situation. Because often we are sometimes trapped uh, being educated as engineers. Uh, we try to really mm -hmm. build something excellent. Yep. But we have to be sure that what we call excellent is in line also with um, what are um, economics considerations, such as uh, how much is a market uh, yep. really willing to pay for a certain product or for a certain functionality. And this is something which is often overseen. So talking about requirements engineering, what are the different um, elements of requirements engineering? Um, I normally distinguish uh, six elements identifying which requirements we address. That's called the elicitation of requirements. Mm -hmm. um, then the analysis of requirements vis-a-vis uh, -vis their impact either on the existing system or against each other, but right. certainly also the effort which we need, the mm -hmm. way we solve them. If you want, the elicitation gives us the what, the analysis gives us the how. Mm -hmm. um, we need a specification, that's the third activity, because that allows us to um, document the results of these uh, different processes. Um, we need uh, validation in order to find out uh, did we address the right topics? And we can specify a lot of requirements if we are not understanding how they map, for instance, between the how, how we implement, to the what, what the customer needs. Yep. Um, if this is not a consistent um, and systematic approach, then we will certainly not deliver the right product. And then we have something which is very often overlooked, which is this commitment mm -hmm. that is um, 
how much of the requirements do we actually uh, commit for a certain project yeah, allocation yeah, to, to, releases, a, to a yeah. customer exactly yeah. um, because in the end of the day we are only able to deliver as much as we have a budget and as much as we have resources and as much as we have calendar time yeah. and all this has to fit together so the commitment is uh, a final stage before we start any project um, we should also be aware and that's the sixth activity that requirements will change and in order for managing this change we have also this uh, requirements management or the administration of the uh, different requirements throughout the project such as knowing the status um, making sure that we have addressed all requirements and finding out um, what are the impacts if there is a change so that was the quick overview i guess we should now look at each of those phases um, and we obviously start with the first one which is elicitation how do we collect uh, requirements efficiently from the external market well elicitation is not easy because uh, and that's uh, reminding me to some old way to phrase this activity in in, in ancient terms i'm almost about saying uh, a lot of people talked about collecting requirements mm -hmm. yeah I, I used that term Right, and collecting is in a way misleading because um, whenever I walk down the street, uh, I, I, I look around, but I can never really find requirements <laughs> on the road. Uh, yeah. So it's hardly possible to really collect them. It's much more important to find out what are really the needs and how do I best address these needs. And this is why this verb elicit is uh, in a better position to right. address this active search and evolution and development of requirements rather than simply thinking that while well, we would just open a book or we talk with somebody and we can collect all the requirements yeah. um, elicitation of requirements is a discipline in itself um, we typically find elicitation techniques such as uh, for instance interviews or workshops mm -hmm. um, this is what many people are doing we should also be aware of specific techniques such as How do we uh, identify dependencies? How do we identify specific uh, stakeholder needs? And a key activity in the elicitation is to understand, and we come back to the what and the how, um, what are the real needs? Um, one thing which I learned very early uh, in my professional career was that you uh, should always be very careful not to build a product which addresses needs which you believe the customer right has a certain need but rather yes. that you make sure that you understand the need and then uh, try to come to a position where you contract exactly this part and then you deliver it because in the end of the day you as the person who is developing the software or the company who is developing a product will normally not be in a position to fully understand yeah. the business model the business context and the yeah. usage models of uh, your markets or your customers with your product so i guess one important aspect is to first of all find out who to ask absolutely we, you talked about that with the missing requirements before typically we we easily find the primary user but for example in, in your office examples the person who types the letter but in a company there might be other stakeholders which are the people who who uh, administer the overall network and have to deploy the systems typically we, we forget to talk to these people that's one thing i should also address uh, another um, risk which is Imagine a workshop where you have um, different hierarchic levels and mm -hmm. um, the manager is determined uh, to have a product which fits exactly into a certain time frame and in, into certain economic uh, requirements which he has. He might really overlook certain functional requirements which the users later don't have. Right. They, they might even sit in the same room, yes. 
but they would be quiet because here's just this hierarchic difference. Right, yes. And uh, so another approach within elicitation is also to treat this hidden relationship between the different stakeholders and find out um, did we uh, really address the right question. So one thing which I recommend uh, also uh, to you listening to this um, uh, interview is to simply um, prepare a few questions which help you uh, asking in this direction such as um, are you the right person to ask mm -hmm. about this requirement or uh, are you the right person to ask about this and this functionality yeah. or did I forget asking something yeah. and it's really interesting once you address these type of questions you get suddenly a huge amount of additional information mm -hmm. because uh, in a workshop, in an interview, people suddenly would reflect, well, did you really ask me all things or are there other issues yeah. which you might be overlooked? Yeah. Did you talk to this other guy? No. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Or what other type of functionality? Or so, for instance, if, if thinking about um, an application software, um, it's always helpful to not just talk with the uh, standard user, which we have in mind, or even... Mm -hmm putting ourselves in the position of a standard user because we are typically very skilled, we are computer literate, yep. but think in terms of uh, users which are not so skilled, not so computer literate, or yep. think in terms of um, what would be potential users which are today not using the system. Right. There's an old saying uh, within elicitation which is, if you plan uh, to uh, build a bridge, uh, don't look the requirements and determine the scope of that bridge by addressing those people who currently swim the river. <laughs> because obviously those who swim the river might have different yeah. ambitions from those who later on yeah. would cross the bridge. Yeah. And that's the same with software applications. Yeah. So what's the outcome, the results of the elicitation phase? Well, normally uh, a key outcome is first of all to have a vision. That is mm -hmm. uh, to have a very good and concise statement about what's this project or the later product really delivering in terms of value. So the vision is the key output. Uh, a second output is certainly to have um, a list of needs, um, expectations on the product, mm -hmm. and also to have a draft requirement specification which would further evolve um, along the way when you are doing the analysis. Um, these three elements, the, the vision, the list of needs and by doing that a draft requirements uh, spec um, is a baseline on which we build all the following activities. Mm -hmm. Now one thing maybe just to uh, sum up what I said a bit earlier when we address these activities now in a certain sequence uh, depending on what questions you further on ask, uh, one thing should be clear which is um, the order which we are here going through is not necessarily the order which we want to address these uh, activities within a project. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the only logic order is um, that normally we elicit, we analyze, we commit something. I mean, here I see a certain uh, dependency because we cannot analyze if we have no clue yep. what the needs are and we can certainly not commit anything. Um, if we don't have a clue about how we address it, also uh, just to make things clear, uh, if we uh, address this commitment approach uh, from a perspective as we sometimes see it in companies, uh, then we see more Dilbert-like behaviors. Uh, <laughs> so obviously it's not always addressed in this order, but we can be very sure if a commitment is done premature and we later on try to find out what are the requirements, uh, that's already one of these things yeah. which uh, Dilbert would call as a doomed project. You, you said already in the beginning or in, in the beginning of the elicitation discussion that talking to the right people and discussing with people is, is important. But there might be other uh, elicitation techniques, for example, simulating things so you get deeper understanding of, of things. Do you want to briefly um, say something about these things? Mm -hmm. how, how much effort should you, should you actually spend 
uh, in trying to elicit all requirements and how do you do this? Oh, well, this is two questions. Um, yeah. Let me first talk <laughs> about the uh, effort and then about some of the techniques. I yep. think uh, from an effort perspective, one observation which I routinely make is uh, that either there is not enough effort spent and we kind of rush through the elicitation analysis just in order to start the project because right. people want to get something done and this uh, boring um, elicitation and analysis doesn't really get us closer to the product mm -hmm. while the other extreme is uh, that we overspecify that we spend too much energy uh, trying to capture all eventualities all conflicts all uh, potential requirements before projects start and that also is very bad because that means that we spend too much effort without really knowing what would happen after project start and we mentioned yeah. already one key observation with any type of requirement is that they are changing right i mean independent what our underlying uh, life cycle development process really is be it a waterfall be it incremental be it evolutionary or explorative they all have to address uh, volatility mm -hmm. to a certain degree and if we believe or if we tend to believe that we can at a given moment freeze requirements then we are certainly wrong yep. the real message here is let's find this amount of elicitation techniques which help us to get a critical mass of requirements which are good enough to understand the needs and start the project with a manageable risk mm -hmm. um, for me requirements engineering is um, very clearly a risk management yes. uh, technique because it helps us to uh, clarify needs vis-a-vis budget, uh, time and economic constraints and at the same time also make uh, our life to a certain degree purposeful so that we can deliver later on something which we know there's a market mm -hmm. behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now to address your other question which are techniques and we mentioned already some like interview workshops. Yeah. Simulation is what you asked and uh, I think uh, if we look at the recent evolution we see modeling right. and uh, specifically models uh, which address different type of behaviors of yeah. very growing relevance this obviously comes uh, from the simple observation that the more we can show something, be it to a customer, be it to a potential user, or be it just to our own engineering team, the easier we would be able to uh, extract or ex elicit more questions yeah. about how things are working. And the models can be uh, simulation models like uh, what we do in embedded systems, um, for instance, with uh, with tools like MATLAB Simulink, which yeah. is very popular in the embedded world. Yeah. But also a lot of the object-oriented uh, modeling techniques which are used to model, for instance, um, a business system or IT system or an application software up to the level of um, business process modeling, which is key in order to uh, build uh, a better understanding about what is the usage scenarios um, which our system will later on uh, address. Mm -hmm. The next topic is requirement specification. I guess that's a discussion about how you write things down in a way that's unambiguous, right? Yeah, I think the um, specification target is clearly to get mutual understanding, if I mean mutual amongst different stakeholders, yeah. inside and outside our company organization, to get a mutual understanding about what is to be done and how is to be done. Um, and in fact, indeed, uh, when we talk about modeling, it has a variety of aspects. I mean, we need a model in order to elicit requirements. We need a model in order to uh, drive and but also to uh, foster analysis uh, to find out what are impacts, what is effort. And we certainly need models in order to get something uh, down on the paper, right. which we can use in order, for instance, to uh, agree which are the scenarios our system should uh, address, such as a use case, 
or in order to address which are the behaviors or the um, different um, functionalities uh, which uh, should be built in. So the specification very clearly delivers a baseline, a written baseline, um, which of course can be maintained within tools, about uh, the requirements from perspective of user or market requirements and from mm -hmm. perspective of product and component requirements. Yeah. Any guidelines about how to write plain English or something in a way that's not easy to misunderstand? Yeah. I know that the care guys, the sophist guys, have very sophisticated language rules. Would you think that's useful? They are useful, but let's start from, um, say, a higher perspective mm -hmm. and then let's go down to language. Yep. Obviously, the specification is not a purpose in itself. Its purpose is to build a mutual understanding, to build a baseline, which we later on can control. I mean, that should be always very clear. That's the end in which we have in mind when doing a specification. So you, what you mean by control, they mean they need to be testable. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, but I should also uh, control, for instance, from a change or control okay. uh, configuration mm -hmm. management mm -hmm. perspective mm -hmm. uh, to be able, uh, if there is a change, to compare that change right. with a baseline mm -hmm. uh, to identify what has changed, what could be the impact of the change, and to have at any moment something which for any person in the organization or outside the organization is the reference of what is to be done in that project. Especially if you think about time boxing or prioritization, mm -hmm. yeah. where requirements would suddenly be dropped, uh, that you know these are the requirements which are on board, these are the requirements which we might do in a later release. Mm -hmm. That's all the purpose of the specification. So if I give three concrete uh, guidance, uh, one is clearly to have uh, a structure which is meaningful, which is useful for your type of environment that can be a structure derived from a standard um, such as the IEEE 830 and other related standards. Or you build your own structure which you coin into a template so whenever you do a requirement specification you're sure that it's understood and it addresses the major issues which in your business are relevant. Mm. Uh, second guidance is uh, that we immediately uh, start writing a glossary or dictionary in right. order that we allow ourselves but also stakeholders from client or market organizations which we want to build a system for um, to understand each other's language yeah. uh, so that if they address a specific topic that we understand it the same way as they would understand and that's the purpose of the glossary. Yeah. And I've actually made good experience with a what I call structured glossary where the terms are put into relation to each other with like kind of class diagram like a, I don't know what would be the example, a business process consists of, and then I used the, you know, containment diagram angle kind of thing with a star, many steps and something. Mm. So in addition to explaining the terms in words, having a diagram that shows the relationship, I also found that quite useful. That's true. Certainly, uh, we should uh, go away from the classic notation that a glossary is, 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 right. uh, is a book, yeah. but rather to make sure that it's addressing uh, behaviors, etc., which are not immediately relevant as a requirement, but uh, for instance, show what is the context, etc., and yeah. that's uh, what you just addressed. Yeah. I want to go back to uh, the third topic, which I think is key because you addressed already language, yeah. um, and indeed it's uh, to use an understandable and uh, sufficiently precise language, mm -hmm. and that's where uh, certain... Um, basic grammars, as we call it in requirement engineering, uh, which is typically a simplified English with a very clear uh, understanding of what verbs to use, mm -hmm. how to use them, um, so that uh, we have uh, no ambivalence, no fussy descriptions uh, are getting into use. And um, indeed, uh, 
some of the sources uh, uh, would, for instance, be those uh, templates like Valer from um, uh, the Robinsons uh, or what um, the sophists are doing. This, these are certainly very good no. baselines in order to utilize uh, useful uh, language and grammar. Requires quite a lot of discipline, I guess, to write requirements with that subsetted English or subsetted German, I guess. Um, <laughs> it requires uh, that you get precise. I mean, yeah. one thing which is typically um, hindering us using is that we want to give uh, more degree of flexibility in the upstream part mm -hmm. of a project because we still don't know really what the yeah. client wants. We want to be yeah. open to the client to address all eventualities. Yeah. So we use words like <coughs> might or yeah. perhaps or... Um, at least doing this and that but all that actually makes it very difficult to implement later on yeah. so one key which i learned uh, as helpful here is not only to look that uh, you use precise words but also have occasionally a tester look about your specification <laughs> because <laughs> Can I write a uh, test for that? testers yeah. uh, address this question much better than we typically do once we talk with customers mm -hmm. I guess another thing to make it precise is, especially for non-functional requirements, to, to have numbers in it. Like, the system must be very reliable. It's not a requirement. Putting in a number like 99.99 is probably more useful. Absolutely. Um, we should always make one thing clear, which is a requirement should in the end be testable. Right, yeah. Because uh, if it's not testable, how would we ever uh, yep. determine is it now implemented, is it not implemented? Uh, how is it going to be implemented and specifically with quality attributes or non-functional requirements, um, yeah. that's an obvious thing. Yeah. I think reliability is typically rather well understood. Uh, what is much more difficult are topics like uh, portability or maintainability yeah, or, or performance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. indeed, they need to be uh, specified in a measurable way and they need also to be prioritized. Mm -hmm. Okay, now now here's my, my modeling question. So I'm, I work quite a lot with, with domain-specific languages and formal modeling and code generation and all that stuff. And there is a discussion um, in those communities about whether you can actually generate a system, a software system, from a formal requirement specification. And I always say no, because there is a difference between a requirement and a solution That might be very abstract, it might be formulated in a domain-specific language, but it's different from the requirements. Any opinions there? What's the use of formal modeling techniques in, in, in requirements? Um, well, I said already earlier, the major need, and we should always start with a target before we go to address a technical question, but the, the target of a specification is to serve as an instrument to communicate. No. Well, but the question is to whom? I, mean, I, I might be able to communicate to the computer by generating code. Maybe right uh, now, what I'm telling is uh, to communicate uh, indeed with uh, across different stakeholders. Okay, and that is if the specification has that target, and if the specification has the underlying understanding that it specifies what is to be done and how is to be done. It's clear that we have to address uh, communication to external users, for instance, and a very good instrument uh, which. Uh, is today often used is uh, the so-called use case or scenarios which help a user to understand how things are done. Now this is one way of modeling. Another way of modeling would be to uh, better think in terms of what structure do we have, um, for instance what timing requirements we have, um, what dependencies we have. Um, the whole set of UML for instance has been coined for these type of models yeah. mm. and we can uh, certainly um, derive a huge amount of different ways to illustrate the same requirements in, in very different models. I think uh, it's important to have a good understanding of who actually would be the user 
or the uh, accuracy of these models in order to find out to which degree um, of uh, precision you need. And uh, for instance, would you post-process this specification, for instance, for any type of um, generation, like um, type of a model based or model driven uh, development yeah. or to which degree you want to use it in order to generate test cases mm -hmm. um, for instance um, in my company in vector we have uh, a set of uh, a very eloquent uh, test generators etc developed for um, networks and mm -hmm. um, obviously uh, we typically start with uh, specifying uh, the requirements on the one side or what should the network address what uh, messages etc what timing and uh, by doing so we are able to then generate test cases mm -hmm. and this is exactly the kind of question to ask yourself what type of um, usage what kind of post-processing what i don't really think so useful is uh, to just model for the sake of modeling no well yeah sure. and later on you realize that you spend a lot of effort yeah you have no chance to really verify your model yeah And worst of all, you are not going to maintain it in case of requirement yeah, changes. Yeah, sure. If you model, it needs to be formal in the sense that it can be processed into something in a simulation or test or validated or code generation. Sure. Okay, next one. Uh, validation. Requirements validation. The major need of validation is to make sure that you have um, a good relationship between uh, what the news or the market needs up to how it is implemented throughout the whole project. In other words, validation is not only applied to the original customer requirements, but it's also applied to mm -hmm. further uh, work products along the lifecycle. In very brief words, uh, validation is uh, defined as doing the right things. That is, you relate a work product versus what's the market need, what's the customer need. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's the only judgment where they're doing the right things. Uh, yep. Anything in between is uh, pointless if we do it the wrong way and uh, so validation of a requirement means that we're able to trace back to a customer need that we're able to trace back um, towards um, what would be uh, the specific component in the software addressing in terms of a subset of these customer needs right. and then of course build a basis of further test cases I mean a good example which bridged towards your previous question is if you think about um, a test driven development approach we would uh, certainly try to build as much as possible unit tests which is in a way just addressing the how and then right. how we design and code but at the same time if we make sure that these unit test cases relate to customer needs that allows us to validate yeah. and that's in fact a very nice and state of the practice approach um, to do validation and quality control without too much overhead mm -hmm. because it allows us to, to have a a clear and lean relationship from customer requirements yeah. to the unit test cases to the code. I would have used the term traceability here. So you trace from what the market needs to implementing exactly if you, if you can trace every market requirement to implementations then you're probably in a good yep. shape and traceability is key i mean that's one of the topics uh, which we might talk about when we talk about requirements uh, management and yep. uh, right. administration yes. but indeed uh, your example is excellent in so much as uh, often traceability is uh, implemented highly theoretical with a lot of overhead rather than understanding why do we need traceability mm. and then make it very simple we already talked about requirements and testing but i think um if we talk about good requirements then a good requirement is a requirement that can be tested right and that is why my major message here we can talk about a few more details in a moment but uh, the major message is a requirement should be testable and we should make sure that uh, somebody with a test background looks to requirements in order to give them a good right. quality yep. and that would allow us to talk about uh, what are quality attributes of requirements and i think 
the three major needs uh, from a quality perspective it is that the requirements um, are necessary in other words right. that we address needs yep. that they are verifiable and um, that they are achievable so that yes. we finally can implement them achievable also for a reasonable cost or in the budget yes. and whatever we have yes. The next one is requirements analysis. Now, um, I'm not sure I understand that uh, in contrast to ver validation. So how, how does, um, what does analysis mean? Requirements analysis has the objective to make sure that we have a profound and sufficiently good understanding of um, what is the content of the requirements, how we uh, address these requirements. That is, the analysis phase builds the bridge between uh, the what and the how in our previous uh, okay. terminology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, by doing so, we learn a lot of things about our system and about the uh, customer. One thing is, it helps us to address the right questions towards the customer or the user in terms of what are the needs. The other question, the other uh, target is that analysis also allows us to address the right questions downstream, how we're going to implement, what kind of components, what kind of architecture is best suitable to address uh, the specific needs. Normally, we have an infinite number of different choices. I mean, we can address certain questions uh, in different uh, languages, in different architectures, in different algorithms, etc. Mm -hmm. yep. this helps us to uh, reduce the solution okay. space and also to realize um, what constraints have which priority. Yep. And by doing so, um, identify which are the most effective, both in terms of functionality, but also in terms of cost and mm -hmm. efficiency um, solutions uh, which we want to process further on. So requirement prioritization would be part of analysis? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, some of the outcome of analysis is clearly, uh, and I think the key outcome would be that we have uh, kind of a solution model that can again be, we discussed it earlier, uh, a model by using UML or it can be done in yeah. plain text. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. Also, it gives us an impact analysis about what is the effort which we need or yeah. how much time we need. Yeah. But clearly, and that's a, a key element which I just mentioned, it gives us uh, a relationship between what's the value of the requirement vis-a-vis -vis the market versus what's the cost and that yeah. helps us to prioritize yeah. and address yeah. the right things this also probably results in a hopefully in a dependency graph so that means if i remove that requirement which other requirements might be um affected by that removal or if i remove a feature in the solution requirements product requirements which of the market requirements are killed by that right for instance a uh, typical practical usage of this uh, prioritization analysis is uh, if you think in terms of um, for instance a product line uh, approach right. uh, yeah. where we have to uh, distinguish what would be future variants and how do we control variability mm -hmm. then we try to identify which are requirements which are rather stable which right. we cluster yeah, yeah. for instance in the platform element yeah. and which would be requirements which evolve and yeah. how would we plan releases yeah. uh, to which we would deliver certain requirements. That's yep. a typical example where we relate prioritization and uh, analysis. Yep. Commitment? Well, commitment we can keep rather short because, yep. in fact, it won't take much time. But uh, essentially, it takes the results of the analysis. Uh, that is, we know the customer needs. We know the way we want to address these customer needs. Um, we map them into releases or we map them into uh, what's possible within the project and uh, budget and time constraints. And then we make a, a cut and we would, uh, on this basis, uh, commit either internally, such as uh, we have an internal contract uh, delivering, for instance, an IT solution to another department, or externally, such as we want to build a certain solution for a customer, um, so that we are able to keep 
those uh, requirements, uh, both uh, technical requirements uh, and also project requirements, in order to make sure that we deliver at the end of the day. Um, often the commitment is misinterpreted in a way that we uh, commit too early. I mentioned that, yeah. or we commit uh, on a rather wake baseline. Um, I think it's key that we understand that there's a certain change rate of requirements, that we have uh, certain um, elements which can change. We have uncertainties within the requirements. So that commitment process has to deal with that uncertainty management. And that's often misunderstood because people think, well, what should we actually commit? Is it just a list of requirements? Mm -hmm. In fact, it's not necessarily a list of requirements, it's more a list of our capacity, uh, a list of needs, an order or prioritization of those, and certainly also what mechanisms we use for risk management when certain elements start to change along the project. In other words, if you know that there is a certain um, change rate of requirements in your project, which is typically the case, then you might want to commit only a subset of all the requirements in an initial iteration. And once you learn more in subsequent iterations, you commit to more of them. Right. And uh, that obviously depends very much on markets, on uh, sure. customers. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, you will not be able to be sure that you know even what is the 100% margin. I mean, it can be that you know about 40-50% of the requirements with sufficient detail to start the project. Uh, then you should make sure that those which have architecture impact are known right. rather yeah. early. Yeah. The same holds what you called earlier quality attributes, yeah. the non-functional requirements. Those are also core to know very early. Others, well, uh, maybe you just uh, define an envelope uh, of time and buffer, uh, how to address uh, changing requirements, how to address new requirements. But at the end of the day, you should not keep the analysis phase too long. Uh, I mean, the yeah, one sure. of the major risks is that we paralyze ourselves yeah. by analysis. Yeah. Yeah, analysis paralysis. I think mm. this is this term. Okay, requirements management. I think that's the that's the bridge to the development process, right? Right. I mean, if if we just go back to the previous, the logic of commitment would be that we have a clear input. Um, now that we know that requirements are changing, obviously we have also to manage these changes. Mm -hmm. Management makes sure that we are able to cope with changes, that we have always a clear baseline, and that when there is a change, um, we are able also to trace that change into um, downstream or upstream requirements uh, impacts or design impacts, so that we have a consistency from the custom requirements to these uh, component requirements and product requirements, um, to the test cases, to the project work um, products, to the work breakdown structure, etc. Now, an important part is uh, with the management also to get you visibility where you are. And if mm -hmm. you, for instance, yeah. think about any type of um, development process, such as an extreme uh, programming or um, say a more traditional uh, waterfall or say incremental approach, whatsoever development process you need to have visibility yeah. how far you are how much is yep. implemented yep. Um, such as a technique like uh, earned value which gives you just a perspective how much of the requirements are implemented to which degree is your project really progressing yeah um, right that's also probably where the question of tools comes in how can tools help you be aware of the requirements and also track how many of them are implemented so um yeah, maybe we can spend a few words on tool support because that's indeed a, a key question of uh, requirements engineering. 
normally we use tools with different uh, focus. Uh, we we already talked about modeling. I mean, certainly here is one domain where we use uh, tools, uh, mm -hmm. modeling tools, yeah. which help us uh, to uh, build and maintain models, to relate models to, um, say, downstream activities such as design or code. Yep. Um, a second set of tools would be those where we... Uh, manage the requirements, we specify requirements, we govern the changes of requirements. Um, this would be tools, um, and let's keep things simple, that can be a spreadsheet. Right. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of um, extreme programming and uh, more HR projects where at the core of requirements engineering we find just a spreadsheet. Yeah, the problem uh, is that there are then typically 25 different versions of the spreadsheet in everybody's email folder, but I guess that's another problem. Uh, that brings <laughs> us to a third category uh, of uh, tools, which is indeed a very clean change management. So one thing which I addressed earlier when I spoke about baselining, uh, when we talked about specification, um, and that's exactly your point, uh, is we ought to make sure that there's just one version of requirements. Which way we address that? Is it a spreadsheet? Is it um, a Word document? Is it uh, maybe a more sophisticated tool such as Telogic Doors? Or just um, a wiki, right? Or a wiki. Um, I mean, we can imagine a lot of different approaches for handling requirements and handling or yeah. addressing the changes etc but one thing is very very key which is make always sure that you know your configuration your versions of the requirements and make sure that there's just one baseline and not two or three different right. baselines yeah. you mentioned before that there is this tracking of requirements knowing how many are implemented and in which release and and why not <laughs> um any any specific um stuff to talk about there i mean is there any tool support or any best practices that that we can use there well let's start with tools uh, not at the beginning but rather about the best, best practices right, yeah. um i think from a perspective of visibility what do we need to know about requirements i see three immediate needs one we need to know what are the requirements that is we need we need to have a list of the custom requirements and the product requirements which we want to uh, follow what i do recommend is that we have um, uh, status information on the requirements which can be very uh, simple in a way that we have something which indicates this is a requirement which has just been entered into the process um, it is analyzed it has been um, designed and it has been tested yeah. and uh, is part of the product mm -hmm. so with four or five status um, changes we can basically track requirements um, a second information would be that we keep track about requirements changes that is um, how many changes did we have uh, to which degree uh, are we able to cope with the changes and by doing so also make sure that uh, we will not be surprised by too much change which we sometimes face somewhere in the midst of the project that yep. the changes are faster than our capability to handle <laughs> yeah. these changes yeah. um, which by the way if we go backwards uh, to the success and failure of project is one of the key reasons why project fail yes. I mean let's not fool ourselves a third of the projects uh, is uh, successful but two thirds uh, somehow fail either they would be cancelled that's about 20 percent or they would be uh, challenged in terms of uh, not keeping budgets not keeping other requirements uh, and at the end of the day you get something which is insufficient yep. and uh, the major reason is requirements engineering and in requirements engineering is not being able to cope with change mm. um, so we need to and that's the second uh, measurement we need to be able to know um, how much requirements are changing and to which degree are we able to cope with that change. And the third uh, measurement would be that we have some kind of um, 
status information about uh, to which degree uh, have we implemented certain requirements, to which degree can we relate that to increments of our software, to finished test cases, etc. I mentioned earlier the concept of earned value, which I want to underline again. I think it's a key concept for good project management okay. to know where we are. Probably people don't know what this is. Can you briefly say what it's all about? Um, earned value in few words tries to relate the value generated to the effort which we have spent so far mm -hmm. and the effort which has been blended in order to implement this amount of value. In other words, if we make a simple um, thinking exercise, if we have 100 requirements of about equal size yeah. in terms of effort <coughs> um, and we want just to address them in a linear way, then we can make a very simple graph which uh, over time would have a line which implements um, requirements and by tracing this line compared to what has been actually delivered we might see that we have spent already um, say about um, about after half of the available time we have spent half of the effort which is also what we have foreseen if it is mm -hmm. a linear curve mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. however we have only implemented 30% of the requirements mm -hmm. now this mismatch can oh. be detected very yeah. early and yeah. shows us that we are going to be late and we are going to do have to do something yeah. This sounds trivial. However, if we go to practical project management, uh, only few people really use earned value yeah. and uh, in fact are surprised by uh, finding out rather late in the project that they have spent so much effort but yeah. not uh, really implement so many requirements. Yeah, I guess awareness at an early time in the project is, is key. Let's summarize this um, and then give pe uh, people uh, a way to, to learn more by uh, linking or, or mentioning external material books and stuff. So why don't you summarize um, some of the conclusions, what, what's important in requirements engineering? Well, if we go backwards to what we discussed uh, during this um interview it's obvious that requirements engineering needs uh, discipline we have talked about six activities uh, which uh, build requirements engineering um, we have discussed the elicitation the difficulty uh, to really understand what are the needs the um, analysis of the requirements the specification where we build a consistent baseline of uh, the different type of requirements the commitment where we uh, commit to a certain amount of content and then the um, management and validation activities which help us to build the right thing and also make sure that we are able to cope with changes. Um, with doing this we should be clear that requirements engineering is, is teamwork. I mean we work with a lot of different stakeholders, yeah. um, not necessarily people who think the same way as we are thinking as software engineers yeah. but also with managers, with uh, procurement people etc. And we have to be able to relate different needs um, and focus on a, on a, on a, on a result. Requirements engineering is about risk management. I mentioned that requirements engineering gives us the way to deal with uncertainties uh, along the whole project. The requirements engineering is certainly not stopping with project begin. Mm -hmm. yeah. These different activities which we talked about have to, have to be applied also with requirements changes. Requirements engineering is also not really linked to a certain development process. We talked about agile projects as well as about a more waterfall type of approach. Um, we have to be able to cope with volatility and with uncertainty and uh, apply the right amount of um, process and the right development project uh, lifecycle in order to uh, deliver at the end of the day what uh, are the requirements and uh, what had been the changes of the requirements. So if you, if you do that, if you do all the requirements engineering stuff, what's the benefit? 
Well, that's a good point. I mean, it sounds like we just put more process and more difficulty in the whole development where people would like to uh, create code. We now talk about specific requirements, making models, maybe doing analysis before you start the project. Um, that sounds like additional effort. And well, obviously, that's true. I mean, in a way, we move effort from where it is today, invisible, which is uh, having to to handle all these uncontrolled changes into more upstream activities where we try to imagine how do we organize work in order to get things done faster and more efficient. Um, as a rule of thumb, uh, we should certainly be aware that requirements engineering uh, as a part of project uh, management uh, starts before the project but consumes uh, project resources. Um, typically a double-digit sum uh, in mm -hmm. terms of percentage. And so if we wonder what would be the advantages, clearly, and there have been a lot of studies on that, um, impacts are in terms of uh, predictability. That is, if we do sufficient requirements engineering, we are able to keep deadlines, we, keep, we are able to deliver according to commitments. Uh, that's a key uh, reasoning for requirements engineering. Mm -hmm. Another topic would be we are able to deliver the right amount of quality we avoid that we engage into things which have low or no priority. We're able to cope with requirement changes. And by all that, we reduce the amount of rework. We reduce the amount of uh, unnecessary effort um, which would just be wasted if mm -hmm. we do these things in a more ad hoc way. Yeah. To finish this thing, I guess um, we should uh, hint at a couple of external materials, a couple of books. We also put them into the show notes. Um, yeah, so any any stuff, any any material people can look at um, if they want to learn more? Yeah, there's a set of um, books which I would recommend depending on uh, what type of questions we ask. Obviously, um, we can start with um, our own book here, which is uh, about systematic requirements management, which will appear this year in the second edition. Um, mm -hmm. It's in German language, um, which uh, is certainly for some part of our yep. audience useful. About 50%. Um, on the other side, um, for people who want to get into a profound overview on different requirements engineering techniques, I can uh, recommend uh, the book of Ian Somerville um, and co-authors, mm -hmm. which very well explains the different processes and techniques mm -hmm. uh, in requirements engineering. Um, a third one, just to uh, get a bit more in the direction of customers and uh, really getting new things uh, in our product is a book called Innovation Games, which um, is very eloquently describing specific elicitation techniques, workshops, um, customer games, etc., yep. where we try to elaborate what are the right requirements. Actually, we had Luke on the show a while ago, and we talked about his uh, Beyond Architecture book and also a little bit about the Innovation Games, so people might have heard about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I guess that's all for this episode. Uh, anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Any pearls of wisdom? Well, I guess we already summarized a yeah, lot. Sure. I think if I just want to coin one phrase, it is... Uh, Requirements is uh, requirements engineering is about um, getting a good understanding about needs, about uh, yeah. priorities, about managing risks in the project, and making sure that what we are doing has a focus and is not just rushing into code and design and uh, later on have uh, a lot of rework just because we are not really aware that uh, needs might change and that there are certain. Uh, um, impacts which we have overseen and I think if we keep this in mind that there is a clear benefit of requirements engineering and requirements engineering is not about um, formalism and right, yeah. unnecessary overheads uh, then I guess uh, we will be in a very good shape and we are doing um, those things which are important in order to make our products a success. 
Okay, then thank you, Christoph, for being on the show. Thank you, Markus, for the interview. Thanks for downloading and listening to Software Engineering Radio. Software Engineering Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website. Or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick Reddit Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at se-radio.net or if it is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. This episode of SE Radio as well as all other episodes are licensed under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle. <laughs>